You're listening to Empath at Work. Come share this space with us as we explore how we harness empathy in life and at work. Hey everyone, welcome back to Empaths at Work. Today we have a very special guest, Sam Hackney, on the podcast. Very excited to get to know her better and learn a little bit more about the company that she co-founded called Marigold Strategy. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. Very, very looking, very much looking forward to talking to you a little bit more today, learning more about the company and and your journey. Um, but before we get into all of that goodness, we have to start off with an Ew. moment of the week. So Sam, when in the past week or so have you used empathy as a tool in your life? So I thought a lot about this. Um, and I feel like, like I think a lot of the other guests, like use like empathy is a tool that you use all the time. It's something that I think especially for me shows up in a lot of ways um, as someone who has done some work kind of understanding some of my strengths as a manager and a supervisor. Um, But most recently, I think it's really shown up. I've recently started supervising someone new Mm. Um, and, you know, everyone has their different strengths, different personalities. And one of the things that they did that was so wonderful is gave a little bit of a presentation into who they are, how they show up, how they like to be communicated with, what's worked, what's not worked in the past. And because of this conversation and her sharing a little bit more of a vulnerability about who she is, it then allowed in interactions that we've had since then in the coming weeks of really um, using empathy to think a little bit more intentionally about um, how am I communicating with her? how can I share most recently some really great news with her in a way that's not going to provoke more anxiety or uh, make her nervous that something else is happening um, and really being intentional in the ways that we're setting up our communications and our meetings. Um, and I think it's just a really helpful and important tool uh, to how people should be showing up in the workplace. Oh my gosh. What a great new hire. It sounds like she is prepared. She is ready to give context and like jump in and start working. That is I'm going to steal that idea and use it in the future, but also good on you for seeing that as an opportunity to really identify how you can best work with her and partner with her so that everyone feels good in that process. That's, that's such a cool example. I know. I would almost love to do that. Like give that as a template to new people as they come on to my team. I feel like that's such a nice way for them to introduce themselves, but also to understand them and where they're coming from. Yeah. I mean, some people really like to be, you know, share a lot about their personal lives at work. Some people don't like to share anything about their personal lives at work. Um, And so understanding, you know, what someone's boundaries are upfront, communication styles, or, you know, some people have had really harmful situations with their managers in the past, and you can easily trigger something really unintentionally. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just so helpful to kind of understand all of these things about how do I best support them and advocate for them without stepping on their toes, allowing them the room to grow. Um, and also it's just like such a signal that she's a, an amazing and wonderful person um, to really think intentionally about, you know, how can she also set herself up for success? It's so funny too, because Sam and I, before this call, we were texting about the different levels of like vulnerability in the workplace and how do you show up and like, what's the right way to show up? And I think it also, the example you shared also ties so nicely into the work that you're doing today. So I would love for you to share with our listeners more about Marigold strategy and how you guys are helping build better workplaces. 
Yeah. So I am the co-founder of an organization called Marigold Strategy with my business partner, Debica Schoen. And we started the organization officially in October of 2021. Um, so it's a relatively new endeavor that we've embarked upon. And part of the reason that we decided to create our organization is we saw this real gap in the marketplace um, of this. A lot of organizations are really interested in investing in diversity, equity, inclusion, mm -hmm. um, particularly around the moment that our country's in right now, but really don't actually know what does it actually take to build a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive organization. And so what we do is really, uh, as the kind of implementers and partners with organizations, help them think really intentionally uh, about how to develop organizations that embody the values that they espouse out outwardly. Um, so a lot of the nonprofits and foundations that we tend to partner with um, helping them implement an inclusive strategic planning process. How do you build more equitable board development? Um, what does it mean to really invest intentionally in a different type of organizational culture that embodies social justice values, um, that doesn't necessarily adhere to uh, a white supremacy type culture and really thinks differently about uh, how that organization wants to show up and the growth that they do. Um, and so we, um, over the past couple of months, have been working with a lot of different types of clients across industry uh, to really think intentionally about what it actually takes to move the needle on changing organizational culture um, and moving organizations closer to uh, helping them um, kind of reflect the type of change that they want to see in the world. That is so cool. I'm like, I'm just sitting here like so excited to, to get to know you a little bit more too, because it's like, it's such an important space to your point right now, especially that these are the conversations we're having. And I've been, um, I've become more aware of the role that accessibility plays as far as mm -hmm. kind of DEI and what that mm -hmm. looks like and how the A fits in there. And, mm -hmm. you know, I see the way that you're talking about this is it's really, it's bigger than just the three letters. It's such a mm -hmm. mindset shift and a way of thinking differently and putting your customers at the center, but also putting your employees at the center and making sure that people feel represented and supported and that you're bringing that diversity of mindset and experience into the organization. Um, so that's super cool. When you first saw an opportunity to do this, I guess, what, what spurred it? Cause you said mm -hmm. October, 2020, October, 2021. So my yeah. business partner and I met at our former employer. Um, and we had been working with a number of foundations and nonprofits, um, ourselves, really thinking uh, and helping them transform some of the processes that they had to really embrace a kind of diversity, equity, inclusion, um, or what we call kind of a ready lens, which is racial equitable, uh, R, so racial equity, diversity, and inclusion, um, or interdependence into their work. And we've done this by um, having workshops around an anti-racist approach to succession planning or purpose-driven board leadership or a number of different types of concepts. And we found that we not only loved the work, but we were really good at the work. And the more that we started having conversations with some of the other nonprofits and foundations that we were working with, um, that there was really a gap of 
um, consultants that were working in this space. There's a lot of really wonderful and amazing consultants that do kind of diversity 101 that give that initial training to really help organizations think about how can you begin to think differently about your approach to your organization and your organizational culture, getting familiarized with a lot of these concepts. But it's really exhausting work to help organizations then think about how do you take that kind of banner that you have on your website and actually do the hard work of really change management and changing mm -hmm. your organizational culture? Um, and so the more that we started talking amongst the two of us, the more that we realized that this is where our true passion lies and that there aren't really other people out there in the world doing this. And so decided that... Um, you know, why not us and why not now? Like never really saw ourselves as entrepreneurs by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something that we felt so strongly about and so passionate about that it really just felt like an easy next step. And since we had already worked together, had also built up a really wonderful relationship between the two of us that really centered on uh, trust and accountability and all of these other really wonderful factors. And so it really kind of lent itself nicely to going into business together. Yeah. And the outcomes and the impact that you're able to have with the clients you work for that you were sharing with me is incredible. Like not only helping people feel safe and heard, but I think you've shared a couple other um, ways that this type of work impacts organizations and creates better workplaces. Yeah, so um, a couple of things. So like the basics of things that are out there that teams that and kind of organizations that high higher levels of trust um, tend to have less stress, higher productivity, mm -hmm. uh, more alignment, more satisfaction, um, more collaboration, like all of the things that organizations really strive for and are really interested in. Um, and um, at the same time, particularly in the nonprofit sector, there's a huge gap when it comes to diversity of leadership. Um, mm -hmm. And so some of the kind of different organizations that study a lot of this found that mo particularly around the pandemic, most leaders were considering leaving their organizations. And most of the, uh, the staff that were considering leading were leaders of color. Um, and this really exacerbates a lot of the racial gaps that we see, particularly in the nonprofit sector, um, where the nonprofit sector, 58% of organizations have less than 25% of people of color in leadership roles. I think there's like some statistics that like 19% of boards of nonprofit boards are still all white. Um, wow. And so there really is this need to really think about differently, particularly in the nonprofit sector, that the organization, the makeup of them reflect the populations that they're working with. Um, mm -hmm. And so while a lot of these organizations had really great intentions, and um, they didn't really know how do you actually kind of move from where you are, not only just kind of hire and kind of make sure that your staff is a little bit more diverse, but an actual, you'd actually kind of be able to keep people, you need to then build a more inclusive organization and an organization that has more trust and actually transform the way that you work with one another. Um, because that is actually, and that more kind of empathetic approach is actually what's going to lead to the better results because your staff will stay longer, they'll be happier, they'll be more productive, all those other things that I just talked about. And then particularly for nonprofits and foundations, that translates to more revenue, it translates to higher impact, it translates to, you know, those that are in direct service, having, being able to, staff being able to do more, to grow, to serve more people, to solve the problems that they're looking to do, because people aren't so 
burnt out and exhausted and drained from the work that they're doing and feel actually supported through the kind of organizational culture that you're able to build. Yeah. I just think the there's so much intertwined in what you just shared that really resonates with me is like the value of employees. If we invest in people, if we feel like we can give them the tools and the resources that they need and that that they don't feel like there's only one voice in the room at all times, that you can really create that diversity of mindset and shift the way the organization operates. To your point, there's so much value for the bottom line, like truly for organizations who focus on these things, focus on their employees and really creating a new culture um, to reflect where, where we are in the world a bit better. I think there's so much revenue growth and opportunity financially. So one of the questions I, I was thinking about is, you know, what are what are the motivations of some of these companies? And and I think you answered it a little bit, but I'm curious when they first come to you, do they do they say, okay, we need to have a better strategy here to support our employees and our customers with this mindset because we're afraid of getting sued or, you know, some of them they want to avoid the negative ramifications, or is there a level of awareness where people are coming and saying, you know, this is a huge priority for us because of X, Y, and Z that matches our vision and future. Like where, where are people at in their own journey of discovering the role that DEI can play when they work with you? Mm, it's a great question. So I think it's a little bit of both and almost 50, 50. Mm. Um, and that half of the organizations who come to us already have determined that this uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is a central value to who they are as an organization. And so now they want to make sure that they are pursuing all strategies and all lines of work um, and working with people that really have that exact same mindset. Um, and so just really want to go deeper and really make sure that that lens is applied to everything that they do. Um, and those clients, in a lot of ways, it's like an opportunity to collaborate and better partner because they're going through it and they're understanding it and they've revealed things about themselves through the process. And so you also have this opportunity to think a little bit more intentionally about what works and what doesn't work. And it can be this really magical partnership. I would say on the other side, the other 50 or maybe even probably more of the clients, um, it's that they're almost at an impasse. Like either they had um, some issues related to kind of, especially in the nonprofit sector, there's the great resignation right now. I mean, it's everywhere yeah. and it's exacerbated in the nonprofit sector. And so all of a sudden, all of the staff is gone um, and they're kind of at a loss for what to do and how can they actually better support staff um, or they've had some, you know, issues related to sexual harassment, related to um, issues related to race, related to ethnicity. All of these things have also kind of come up through the HR pipeline and all mm -hmm. of a sudden they're, you know, either fear of getting sued or are dealing actively with a very real issue and finally beginning to understand that um, maybe the way that they've been approaching things is not the best way forward. And so mm -hmm. how can they actually begin to kind of start with building trust and to mm -hmm. really think differently about um, the ways in which they're approaching their work and kind of taking a step back from kind of full steam ahead, just growth mode to kind of, okay, let's revisit this. Think about how do we build, you know, rebuild uh, trust across staff and across the organization. Um, and that is what will eventually allow us to grow. Um, otherwise we're going to be in some real trouble. 
this is really hard work though that you're right you're teaching and like this the the change management behind it so i mean i know you mentioned that you're teaching people like building trust among leaders and teams as one of the things like how do you how do you do that mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's definitely not easy and there's certainly not a one size fits all approach um, so we use a wide variety of tools in our toolkit, so to speak, um, as of also people learn differently, approach topics differently. Um, the first is one, creating a safe space for everyone to be heard. And so not necessarily starting out with a kind of free-for-all open forum where the powers that be or the most powerful people at the room are going to most likely continue to be the ones that are dominating the conversation and sharing their perspective on what the issues are or are not. Um, And so starting with kind of building trust individually as the consultants with members of staff across all levels and thinking really intentionally about the difference of experience by disaggregating the data by race and ethnicity and gender. So you can actually have a better sense for what's actually happening at the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, Once you have that kind of foundational information through um, probably a wide variety of tools, inclusive of surveys and focus groups and interviews to create space to, for people to feel heard and not just kind of extract the data out of them. Um, when we begin to think about rebuilding trust, we've used, um, especially most recently, a lot of the practices around restorative justice, um, which really think intentionally about in those case, kind of healing harms that are happened both interpersonally as well as at the community level. Um, And this can also be a tool that's used at the organizational level um, and can really help to first kind of using um, circle facilitation, which has its roots in a lot of indigenous communities to think about, um, you know, what are kind of what was the harm that took place? What is it actually going to take to build accountability Um, allowing space for people to reflect and share their individual experiences without fear of retribution. Um, And then from there, you can use the kind of same tactics to begin to develop a shared set of values and principles that can really form the basis for how you approach the work moving forward. Um, And that begins to kind of allow that this is really what we kind of mutually have agreed to um, in our process. As a consultant, then it's upon you to kind of begin to kind of Um, lead with transparency and accountability so people begin to see the progress that's being made along the way, begin to see the kind of markers of success um, and kind of feel that they are kind of being brought along through the process. Um, But it is very slow and it takes a lot of time Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of intention. Um, And one quote that we cite very frequently is by Adrienne Marine Brown, which says, um, change moves at the speed of trust, which is like, it moves very slowly. Um, But it, it can't really happen any other way. Yeah. What would be some good indicators if, if there are people listening who are on this journey or helping their organization make this shift, what are some good indicators that you're on the right path? Hmm. I think to the extent that you're able to kind of have your hand on the kind of pulse of the culture of the organization um, by using pulse surveys and other things like that to kind of understand how, you know, do people feel heard? Do they feel that the the leadership is transparent? Do they feel that leadership is accountable? Um, Are you, when you're having these conversations, are you thinking intentionally about who's in the room and who's not in the room? 
um, and being intentional about what that looks like along the way. Um, and I think beginning to kind of measure those things over time um, and then share back the results and then develop kind of cross-sector working groups to work on those individual pieces so it really is truly owned by everyone in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one way kind of, this isn't really fully answering a question, but what not to do um, is actually an example from another consulting organization we worked with um, at my last organization. Um, and they cited this example from one of their clients, anonymized, of course, <laughs> um, which was about, you know, they had developed a shared vision statement for their diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And it was, they, you know, had a cross sector of people at different levels, of the organization and race and ethnicity, all great things. And they've been working together over the year. Um, but what they didn't do from the get go was determine who were the decision makers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of placing this group in the place to actually make very real decisions, um, if they're able to, of course, about the future of the organization or being transparent about the process, um, they made them feel like they had power and then at the last second took it away and said, actually, this needs to be approved by the board. We, you, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, Like, thanks for your help. Um, And that is where kind of trust really falls apart. So being upfront about what the process is from the beginning um, and making sure that, you know, whether or not people can be decision makers, sometimes organizations just, it's not how decisions are made. But as long as you are transparent about what that looks like, that will really help you kind of build accountability and trust throughout the process. And building off of that, for leaders that are looking to improve their culture, maybe similar to some of the clients that you're currently working at, they're at an impasse. You mentioned like some things that I think would be helpful to them is like to be transparent or to be more intentional about who you're inviting to these meetings. Any other like advice that you would give to them? Obviously, we would recommend that they go, um, you know, become a client of Marigold (laughs) Strategy. But anything, any other kind of advice you would give them? Yeah, I think and this gets to the article that I shared to you a little bit earlier around kind of aspects related to vulnerability. And I think it's a two edged coin. But I think to the extent that you can begin to be a little bit vulnerable about who you are and where you're coming from and the pressures that you're facing, even in really small ways to show that you are a human with real emotions and you care deeply about this. That is really how we build relationships with one another in our day-to-day life through friendships and family. Um, And so the more that we mimic some of those same types of relationship building mechanisms in the workplace, the more that we can begin to kind of build some of that trust Um, at the workplace as well. And this doesn't mean you have to divulge your deepest, darkest secrets. I would encourage you not to do that. Um, (laughs) But just little pieces of that, I think, allows people to really get to know you and understand a little bit more about where people are coming from um, and allow some of those kind of misconceptions not to to take hold. Um, And then through that, being able to ask for feedback along the way. And sometimes that can be really hard to hear. But I think that is really helpful to allow people to share openly and honestly about, you know, some of the things that are working and not working well, apologizing if you, you know, make a misstep and kind of acknowledging that and kind of um, figuring out how you're going to move on from that. Um, You know, a lot of those same things that work well, the same thing with, you know, friends and family, I think work well in the workplace. On the kind of other side of the coin is you don't want to 
be so vulnerable that you kind of make it all about yourself mm. um, and your experience um, and really mm. want to make sure that you leave place for, you know, the other people that you're working with to share their experiences. So you still create that human connection without kind of dominating kind of your vulnerability and emotions um, in that kind of relationship building aspect of it. Right. I feel like that example was also in kind of that article and it's up been kind of all over LinkedIn lately with the boss who laid off all uh, like a bunch of employees and showed a picture of himself crying. Like that seems more about him than the people that were impacted. Yeah, there's actually this, I think I mentioned this in the pre-call, but um, another consultant that we work with has this really great um, equation for how, what, how trust is built and how trust oh, is built at work. So interesting. Um, and the first time that I saw and she spoke of it, it just immediately clicked and I immediately knew, oh, that's why I trust this person or mm-hmm. that is definitely why I don't trust someone. Um, so the equation is, it says trust equals, and then on the top um, is credibility, reliability, and intimacy. So credibility speaks to your ability to have integrity, to be honest, um, to not lie. Um, your reliability, of course, about accountability. Do you show up? Do you mm-hmm. do what you say you're going to do when you're going to do it? And then intimacy gets to that vulnerability piece. Um, of course, it's, you know, it's very much about, you know, do you feel close to this person? Do you feel like they care about you or your well-being? It doesn't, uh, of course, have necessarily the same meaning that it does in our kind of more personal relationships, but still that level of vulnerability is important right. for trust. Because it could just be a simple, something as simple as like, I'm feeling really overwhelmed with like the amount of work I have, mm-hmm. or I don't know how to do this, right? Those could be very simple ways to show that you're vulnerable. Yep, exactly. And then the bottom, which is where everything clicked for me, um, is self-interest. And so if your self-interest is so high, um, you know, you your credibility, reliability, and intimacy, all of a sudden, those things are so much smaller and you don't trust the person because you realize that they're doing everything with their own self-interest in mind. Um, and they're just using these tools to kind of make you seem trustworthy. Um, and so everyone, of course, has some self-interest, but acknowledging it, talking about it, all of those things will help kind of people really understand um, where you are and kind of help to build that trust over time. That is so helpful. And I think, you know, just thinking on relationships that I do have at work and the ones that feel the most connected. And I feel like I could, you know, we'd have a trust tree or something for us to, to like rely on each other and share things I wouldn't say to other people at work is like, this, this makes a lot of sense. And also is helpful too, if you're like, what is missing? Like Mm -hmm. what, what's not clicking here? Why is this not working? Cause I'd like to be able to build a relationship here. Um, That's really interesting. Now I'm curious when, cause what we're talking about here is, is not just kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really looking at what that means. It's really looking at the whole organization. Because if you focus only on one goal or one priority and say this buzzword, which is across everything right now, is our priority, but you don't adopt it and you don't put the practices in place, you're going to have a huge gap. And then, you know, I'm even thinking kind of while we're talking, what, what's, um, 
how can organizations who've lost a lot of employees mm-hmm. and feel under-resourced and under-supported, so I'm thinking more of like the nonprofit sector, how do they really make that pivot when they're under-resourced, they don't have people to really drive and execute on that, and the employees are leaving left and right? Like, What are some of the recommendations you might make kind of at a first discussion of how, how are we going to get this done because we have no one to do the work and we don't have a culture of trust and support and it feels like an impossible mountain to move. Mm. It feels like you probably can't even make the time for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, a, I mean, if it's not directly immediately reciprocal to money in, then it's, yeah, it's hard. And that's really focused on the people that the donors and the support system that you're working with externally and has a lot less to do with the internal teams. Um, I get very passionate about this stuff. So I'd I'd love to hear from you what your recommendations would be though. Yeah. So this has been like a very real conversation I've had with a number of my clients. Um, And one client recently ended up, they got very emotional on the call and there was staff at all levels um, and some board members on the conversation. Um, And they um, deal specifically with sexual assault and with children. Mm -hmm. And so a very sensitive topic and through the pandemic, that um, kind of issue has been exacerbated. And so the impact and the need for this organization and the work that they do has grown in, you know, just like innumerable amounts of ways. Um, And yet, because of that, because of the trauma that the staff are working through, because you get secondary trauma by kind of working with patients that are going through a whole host Mm -hmm. of things. um, They themselves were really burnt out. They were underpaid. Mm -hmm. They were dealing with kind of trauma at work. The hours were exhausting. They were asked to take on more and more and more. Um, And so through this conversation, what we realized and would be the kind of same advice Mm -hmm. I'd give to other clients is, if you are going to sustain your impact and if you are going to kind of continue to be successful as an organization, you have to take a pause. You have to think very intentionally instead of just kind of growth and impact of, you know, your staff is your most important resource. Without them, you actually can't do any of the work that you do. And so if you don't stop and support your staff, mm-hmm. you're all of a sudden not only going to have staff that's new and untrained, so your impact is going to go down, or otherwise your kind of more seasoned staff will leave. Um, and through this conversation, this realization, what they were kind of through were applying for was kind of a grant to invest in their kind of capacity to do that and to hire a consultant to help them think intentionally about how do we invest more in staff benefits? How do we um, reward staff, um, not just for the kind of going above and beyond, but for just kind of the ways in which they're kind of continuing to show up, um, Mm -hmm. giving people more time off and all these other things. And how do we really retool our culture to be um, in this case, a trauma-informed culture um, to really think intentionally about how you're supporting your staff with all of the difficult things that they're working with. Katie, to your point around donors and how they drive nonprofit uh, strategy and revenue and decision-making, uh, there's this movement within the nonprofit sector called community-centric fundraising. And essentially what it does is Uh, force nonprofits to really think intentionally about who their donors are and not be so beholden to this kind of white savior kind of narrative that's been generated within the nonprofit sector where you have to kind of reveal the kind of, uh, particularly if you're a client, the most kind of vulnerable and 
horrible and really difficult part of your life um, in order to help a nonprofit generate revenue. Um, mm-hmm. so instead of celebrating yourself for who you are and the accomplishments that you have and all the great places wherever you are now, you have to relive that trauma. And so what this kind of movement is really helping organizations think through that instead of kind of relying on a lot of these traditional narratives and traditional ways of being, um, don't be afraid to give up your donors. If your donor does something egregious to your staff or to your client, then it's okay to say goodbye. And in sharing your values and sharing who you are and stepping up, all of a sudden, all of these new donor pools open up to you. Um, and actually some wow. of the studies that have found that nonprofits, not only do they not lose revenue, um, they actually gain revenue. It is wow. smaller donors and smaller amounts of money. But that is actually unrestricted revenue that it allows you to be more responsive to your community and your clients and the work that you're doing. And so ultimately really benefits your organization in all of these really wonderful and beautiful ways. Um, and so a lot of that also kind of leads, talks a lot about like ethical storytelling and all of these other different things to really help people think much more intentionally mm-hmm. about language and also getting away from kind of this culture of kind of thanking donors all the time and putting the donor at the center of everything of the work that you're doing, but instead saying, this is who we are. This is the work that we're doing. This is how we approach it. If you like it, wonderful. Here's a button to donate. Um, and if you don't, that's okay. Uh, we have plenty of other people that are really interested in the great work that we're doing. Um, and also thinks a lot more about collaboration with other nonprofits. And if you're not the best person for, you know, a fund or a grant, maybe share it with somebody else instead of kind of this competition mentality. How do we much more think about partnership? Um, and I think a lot of these ways are really helping nonprofits to kind of sustain and invest more intentionally in their culture and their staff and help them make sure that, you know, especially those that are doing social justice work, but actually social justice values are embedded in your organizational culture um, and are not just the kind of values that you're putting out there in the world, but it's something that you're truly living and breathing every day. And those organizations that have done that um, have happier staff, have staff that stay for a longer Mm -hmm. time, staff are more innovative, they're more productive, all those other things that we've talked about, you reap those benefits tenfold Um, And ultimately, it also enhances your impact because people are able to show up as their best selves to work every day. I love everything that you just said, especially kind of going back to the point where we use these people as billboards for these stories to Mm -hmm. generate money. But what you're actually talking about here is like, how do we better support ourselves and our community in the process? And I think, you know, it's really difficult because nonprofits are are all donation-based or largely donation-based. And so you need to hold on to those donors that you have. But if you flip the script and you look at it from a different vantage point, when you're inviting the community to come in and you're creating a culture of acceptance and a culture of shared stories with the community, the, the people that you're serving, it helps everyone. And the outcomes are better when we stop thinking about it in the traditional sense and infuse a little bit of innovation and really think about the constituents being served. I think it's really, that's such a beautiful concept. I love yeah. that. And I feel like it also could translate for somebody I've got, I have not worked in nonprofit, but from like working for public companies and just the fact of when like the board has the hold over you and all you're thinking about is short term versus the longer term mm-hmm. outcomes and the benefits and, you know, the, the mission that your company is trying to drive. Yeah, really great example. 
Well, and the fact that you brought in the board too, Amanda, makes me think a little bit about, you know, how when you when you invite a culture change, unless mm -hmm. it's sponsored and led at the top, unless there are people that have that buy-in, right? We talk about like CEO buy-in or leadership buy-in a lot when it comes to shifting an organization. Um, how do you get people on board? I mean, I think people can recognize this is a challenge if we're not thinking about infusing this new mindset and creating that um, equity and that inclusivity within our organization and beyond. We're going to miss out. But how do you really express the opportunity cost that if we don't do this, then there are all of these negative ramifications that can impact the future of this organization? Yeah, it's something where I'm working with in a couple of organizations, and I have to say it's really, it still can be a hard case to sell in the sense that it's not that the case isn't strong, that like the statistics are there, the research is there, like all of the benefits that, you know, you have by investing and in creating a more empathetic and diverse and inclusive culture are proven, like that is not in question whatsoever. Um, and the investments that you make will come back tenfold. Um, but I think some people are very much stuck in their own stories and the stories that they tell themselves of what works and what doesn't work. And so it's and it's hard for and particularly then when you're in a position of power, anyone that has power, nobody wants to give it up, no matter what anyone says, like when you have power, the idea of giving something up is really, really hard. Um, and that really cannot be understated. Um, and so some of the things that we've used to kind of help organizations kind of turn the corner and think a little bit differently um, are kind of trying to reinforce a lot of these things, making sure that that person with power feels heard and still feels important, kind of playing to ego and other things a little bit to kind of help them kind of think a little bit differently about the importance of this work. Um, but if they're not on board, it's also not going to work to the whole thing because, you know, then they're still the ones making the decisions and all of the other things will really fall apart from there. Um, and so having that leadership is really central. Some of the other things that we're working with through organizations is um, particularly for nonprofits with their boards, um, they are also very reluctant to give up their power. Mm -hmm. um, and the staff is much more inclined to be more progressive and thinking more differently about mm -hmm. the type of organization they want to lead or even as a CEO, you see the kind of the very real toll that it's taking on your staff and yourself. Um, and so for some organizations, we're then kind of um, leveraging a kind of legal framework. So the bylaws that you have in place, you know, how can you think intentionally about kind of, um, you know, the legal risk to your organization by actually not kind of moving and transforming or actually going to lead to some very, very real legal um, kind of consequences if you don't kind of adhere to your term limits, try to kind of bring in new voices and new perspectives. Mm -hmm. And then like through the kind of new generation of people that you're inviting onto your organization, um, thinking really intentionally about making sure that those people are centering the purpose of your organization, um, not just their position or, you know, their kind of mentality of, mm -hmm. you know, um, oversight or of, um, you know, of financial kind of, you know, monitoring um, or fundraising and actually really thinking intentionally about thinking about it differently. And so inviting community members onto your board and having a diverse set of individuals who can actually really make sure that they are effectively stewarding your organization in the right direction moving forward and thinking really intentionally about what that looks like. Um, but it definitely is difficult um, and it takes 
a lot of willpower in order to kind of really move and turn the tide um, mm -hmm. and using kind of different levers and, and vantage points to help organizations move closer to where you're hoping to go. Those are some great suggestions. And I'm I'm really excited for, for people to be able to think a little bit differently about this and hear more um, of, a, of a different way of looking at this challenge that mm -hmm. a lot of organizations are facing and finding that there is a real opportunity for growth and change when you invest in your employees and you're able to bring in different mindsets and different life experiences because that's where that innovation can really come in and, and drive that change. Um, I'm super excited. This has been such a fun conversation. But Sam, thank you so much for being with us here. Thank you for sharing your story and sharing about Marigold's strategy. I am so excited to see where your organization goes because the way in which you're supporting and serving your clients is really changing the game and how people can feel more themselves at work. And it really infuses empathy into the employee experience for those organizations. So thank you. This has really been such a, such a wonderful conversation. And as a friend, it's so cool to see what you're, what you started and how you're helping companies and just amazing work. So really proud to be your friend. Oh, well, thank you. Very proud to be your friend too. And I mean, one of the things I've been following your, the two of your, three of your journeys, you know, along the podcast um, and also kind of where you all started with this about thinking about, you know, empathy within a work culture. And the first thing um, from kind of one of your early episodes is, you know, creating a more diverse, inclusive and equitable culture is really what is like empathy is all about. Mm -hmm. And those things really do go hand in hand. And it's not just about, you know, diversity for diversity's sake. It's about having a space where everyone can show up as their best self and their authentic self and lead to all these other great outcomes. And so I'm so excited to be here and to have the experience with uh, the three, two of you and to kind of see where this journey continues to take you. And so where can listeners find you if they want to learn more about your company or maybe find you on LinkedIn? Yes, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Samantha Hackney. We have a website, which is marigoldstrategy.com. Um, and you can learn more about our approach and our organization um, and my business partner. Um, and you can fill in an inquiry form if you're interested in learning more about services. Um, and so we'd love to hear from you all. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Thank you for listening to EW, also known as Empaths at Work. We want you to engage in the conversation. Leave us a voice message by clicking on the link in the episode description. Now for the fine print. The opinions expressed in these podcasts are our personal opinions and don't necessarily reflect the views of any companies we are associated with as working women. That's all.